I'm not afraid of, I guess, people not agreeing with my decisions. And I just think that at the end of the day, if you live like that, you'll end up a happier person. And a lot of people, I think, in, and especially women in this industry, get very judged for who they date and things like that. And if you consciously think, I honestly don't care, then they'll say what they say, but it will just not affect you. I'm Carly Zakin. And I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to 9 to 5-ish with The Skin. We've run into so many questions over the years and had so many moments where we needed advice and we got it from women who'd been there. And that's what we're bringing you with this show. Each week, we're helping you get what you want out of your career by talking to the smartest leaders we know. Because we know your work life is a lot more than 9 to 5. All right, let's get into it. Hey, everyone. Today, our guest is Rita Ora. You know her. You love her. She's the ultimate multi-hyphenate. Rita is a singer, songwriter, actress, philanthropist, and television hosting personality. She broke into the music scene in 2012 when her debut album, Aura, was released. Now, over a decade later, her latest album, You and I, debuted earlier this year to critical acclaim. You've also seen Rita on your TV screen as the former host of America's Next Top Model, as Christian Grey's sister in the Fifty Shades of Grey franchise, and as a judge on X Factor. Rita, welcome to 9 to 5-ish. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you for doing this. So we like to jump in with a lightning round. Quick questions, quick answers. Ready? Yeah. First job you got paid for? Retail. I was in a sneaker store. I used to sell sneakers. Do you have any secret like hobbies or skills? I can do a headstand and I'm really good at multitasking. I don't know if that's a skill, but I kind of feel like it is. I think it is. At (laughs) least I think it's a skill that like many men don't have. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Finish this sentence. What best describes your workday working blank to blank? Just completely sort of back to back, chock-a-block. Like there's no kind of breaks in between. I don't like to usually like have a break. I like to just sort of get it done and then I can like really relax when everything's finished. But it's usually just as soon as you wake up and I get my sort of mental head together and I do my workout and everything, it's kind of like, okay, we're going. What is the last time you negotiated for yourself? Literally just before I did this interview. Okay. Well, I hope it went well. It did. You know, you always have to just know what's happening, you know, and be really alert. And I think knowledge is just the most important thing when you're sort of like running your own business and you have to just have everything under control, even the small little bits to your house stuff, you know, but it's everything has to just be really, really clear. What's one product you can't live without? Probably like lavender oil, weirdly. Oh, do you like spray it? Yeah, I put it on my wrist. I sort of like, I'm always... I always have it because I travel so much and so it just really sort of calms me down and also peppermint oil as well. Like it's weird, but the scents really do help me out. I use peppermint oil. I need to get back into that. What is your go-to karaoke song? Oh gosh, I really love every single song after a couple of drinks. It's like, I will make it my favorite song, but probably I want to dance with somebody, obviously. Yeah. Houston. Yeah. That's that's one of my top. Yeah. This is my favorite question to ask any type of celebrity. What is the craziest thing you've read about yourself? Oh my gosh. 
I've read a lot of weird things, so that's why I've stopped. But it got a bit crazy at one point. It was like something to do with food and and how I sort of like eat my food, and it just sounded so alien like <laughs> that. I felt like it's just ridiculous that I'm reading this at this point. It was something to do with like mixing Tabasco with everything that I do and putting it on my face and you mixing it with my face cream, all this weirdness. I was just a bit like, I mean, why would I do that? You know? Like who made that up? That's kind of, they're very imaginative. It's ridiculous. Um, but yeah. What is a wellness practice that's worth the hype versus like a trend you would advise people skipping? Well, for me, what it, what's worked that I think is worth the hype is infrared saunas. I actually really do swear by them. It's just such a great time to like appreciate your body and try and not be on your phone even for 45 minutes. I'm so amazed by how much I've depended on it now since starting it just kind of really resets my brain. And so I just think it's it's just such a great blessing that I've discovered it only like the last three years. Okay, last lightning round question. What is a like TV, film, movie, whatever, that you would want a cameo in? The Morning Show. Yes. Like, okay, I like that. So good. I just finished this season. Oh. I could see you being like a really good new anchor that they bring in. Thank you. Well, I do yes. think. Let's work on that. That I agree. No, um, I'm not, I'll have to wait to see the final, but it's my favorite show. I mean, I didn't even hesitate. It's just so well done. I love it so much. Okay, so let's start off with you. Talk to me about growing up. What what was your family like? Tell me about your parents. My parents were a dream. They were so, so, so positive. You know, they were very hardworking individuals together and separately, and they worked as a team. They were very smart at sort of keeping the problems out of the home. They just kept us really sort of our imaginations going, and they were just really encouraging of that, just to kind of keep us in this sort of dreamlike fantasy. And I think that really healthy and it really helped me believe in myself so they were very good at that how did music come in to your childhood it was always a part of the house my dad has a huge vinyl collection he just had this thing for collecting vinyls and he still has so many and he would play them on a real old sort of vinyl player and it was like a ritual and so it made me appreciate music because of the journey that it took to kind of get the vinyl, put it on the sting, have the family around the, the vinyl player. Everyone's kind of listening to the crackles and the things. So it became like a ritual and made me really admire and appreciate it. And then I was like, wow, I want to do that. I want to I make music like that. I am a person that has no musical talent or, you know, any sort of like, you know, I was like moderately good at gymnastics as a kid. So I'm always fascinated. When people like you who find this thing that they're good at, right, when they're young, what was the point when you knew like you weren't just good as a kid, that you could be really good as your career? I was always like the weird singer in my school because I was kind of like the huskiest one. I had this really sort of like smoky, dark tone, even like as a kid, which... They didn't really know like where to put me. I went to a theatre school called Sylvia Young Theatre School. So there was a lot of real strong musical theatre singers. And me, I'm not that type of singer. So I just had to sort of work extra hard to feel like I was good enough just because I was like different. Not, I didn't realise the difference at the time. I kept sort of like, 
I don't know, I just kept working. You know, I still do now. I do a lot of classes and I just really didn't stop. And I wanted to be the best in that room. And I think that really has a lot to do with how much you want it, the drive and the determination. And so I think everyone has an element of being good at something, but unfortunately they don't all have the drive to kind of really put so much work into it. You have to just really check in with yourself constantly. So yeah, I was I was that kid. Where do you think that drive comes from? I mean, everyone says, you know, it's your parents, but it really is. Like my parents worked super hard. They were such great examples of hard workers because we immigrated from a war-torn country. And so they had to really come here, the UK, and learn a language and prove their worth almost amongst a new society. And so, I don't know, I guess seeing that made me think, okay, cool. I think I'm going to have to constantly prove my worth wherever I am, even if I make it to a certain degree. I don't think that you ever lose that. When was the first time you felt like you had something? Like you felt like you had made it a little bit? Yeah, I think it was my singing teacher. She just kind of gave me that belief. She was like, you're actually really good. And I think that's when I thought I made it. That It wasn't like I have to make this amount of money or I have to win this many awards. I think it was just somebody saying that I was good. That wasn't my mom and dad. And then um, I went into making songs and writing songs. And so I was, people just kept saying, you've got something really special. And so I kept that going, basically. And then my first number one, I think, as well in the UK, that was a big deal for me because it was my home ground. And it was a feature. And we made history as the first sort of number one in the category, which was drum and bass music, which is a really big sort of raving dance genre. And so, yeah, that was the start. So you go on, you sign with Rock Nation, you become a very big globally known pop star after your debut album, Aura. And later you end up splitting from your label and wind up suing them for neglect. And you settled in all this public in 2016. Mm -hmm. Take us back to that time, because something I find so interesting with people who experience so much success and usually in fame early on is that there's a talent. And also at the same time, there is the whole business side to it. Take me back to that time. What did you learn from that experience? Well, firstly, it's very common for artists to change labels if they want to get out of the deal before the deal is done. And you obviously go down the route that I went down, respectfully, of staying in your case and kind of being asked to walk away and be let go. It was just a really sort of like unsettling time for me because obviously at that point I started to realize that the priorities were shifting in both departments, in both sort of teams. And the dream, right, when you first sign is for us to win together, you know, like achieve so much success and to go on and then celebrate together. And obviously it didn't work out that way for me, but I completely respected and admired the team that I was with. I just felt like at that point in my life, it just wasn't the route that I needed or where I wanted to go in the future, which was to do more than music, to do film, to do TV, to do fashion. And I think my dream was to be able to control all of those departments. And so I decided to go and try and find a route that I felt like I was the priority. I was the main focus. I was the one that everybody put their energy towards. And respectfully, I think 
everybody respected my wish and, and we figured it out very amicably. And they came to a point where it was a very big deal because these people are very powerful, you know, and when you go up against anyone super powerful, you feel like, gosh, can I win this? I'm just a sort of little old me. And they've got a lot more experience than I have and probably a lot more fans in this department. And it's just a really brave thing to do for anyone, especially when you know you're not as strong as the other person. But it was a risk I had to take to really survive. It was basically like my moment of survival. It's like, do you sink because of fear or do you take this risk and try and go at it alone? And that was a big risk to take, again, because they're such big individuals. You know, Rock Nation as a franchise is just huge. And I really love them and respect them and wanted to win with them. But it just wasn't making sense for us together as a family, as a partnership. One of the things that I find really interesting about you making that decision is a lot of people don't know when it's time to walk away, like when something mm. isn't working. How did you not only like feel that, but also decide to do something about it? And did you have mentors in the business that helped you through that? Yeah. You know, I think to answer your first question, the decision process was pretty transparent because I just wasn't growing. I wasn't evolving. I was seeing others have all this incredible success. And it was around the same time that we were all kind of like coming up together. And I just wasn't understanding why I wasn't feeling the same success. And I guess seeing it from an outside perspective, I got really frustrated and doubted myself as if there was sort of something wrong with me or what I was doing. And so that's when the mentor would come in, which is a lady that took me under her wing before I signed my first deal with Rock Nation at the age of 16. And she actually started in law as a music lawyer and then sort of trickled into management, but still had that knowledge of law, which I felt was super powerful and really helpful for me, like a young girl that it's from West London that doesn't really know anything. Grew up in government housing. And so like, I didn't, I don't know. I just didn't know. And so I really took her advice. And she said to me as a music lawyer, you know, it's really difficult for you to explore if you're stuck in this deal. And the thing is, it was like, I wasn't going to lose anything because I wasn't gaining anything anyway. So it was like, if I didn't do it, what would have been the change in my life. I would have still sort of not have had anything. And if I did do and I don't get anything, then it's kind of like, well, I would have been in the same position anyway. And so I didn't really think I had anything to lose. And when you have that feeling, you have to just be like, well, okay, you know, here we go. And that was it. I was just really at the bottom of my barrel. And I just felt like the only way up would be to do this. How did you reset that internal dialogue after that? You go through a lot of turmoil, you make a decision, and then you have a, a lot to prove, I would think, to yourself. How did you start building your confidence up? Yeah, so during that process, obviously, it was really tough. I didn't know what I was going to do or if anybody was going to want to work with me because of like, I guess sometimes with these kind of separation negotiations comes drama and some people don't want to be in involved in anyone that they think brings any drama. And I just started to sort of really doubt myself business-wise, like how am I going to convince people that I just am a very easy person to work with, et cetera, et cetera. 
Once I sort of got over that fear and felt like, you know what, if people want to work with me, then they're going to want to work with me full stop. And that's where it started. It's like, let's just see what happens because that door is still something I wanted to explore. And I already know what this door is doing for me. And then that started this real fight. And I think, again, the bravery and all of that comes from my parents. And I'm actually really not afraid of the challenge. It's more about like being able to survive the challenge than focusing on the end result. It's like, that's just the problem I think some people have. They're like, I, I don't know if I can do this, but this is what I want. Where it's for me, it's like the process is the challenge rather than like the end goal. It's like a huge challenge to be able to survive that. So yeah, that, that for me was the mental psychological journey. You've been in the tabloids a lot, as have many, many young women who are in the spotlight. Do you listen to it? Does it bother you? Do you tune it out? I mean, I don't, do you like it? I don't <laughs> not I don't listen to it, you know. I feel like my relationship with the public eye and media is really interesting and strange at the same time because my personal life was always sort of like a huge talking point. And I'd like to think I live a colorful life and I'm not afraid of, I guess, people not agreeing with my decisions because they kind of, again, don't know me, but I just wasn't embarrassed of whatever the decision was at the time. And I just think that at the end of the day, if you live like that, you'll end up a happier person. And a lot of people, I think, in and especially women in this industry, get very judged for who they date, what they do, who they sit with, and things like that. And if you consciously think, I honestly don't care, then, you know, they'll say what they say, but it will just not affect you. And some people do care and do mind what they get spoken about. And that's, again, a personal preference. But I just honestly, my idols and Madonna and all these incredible women I grew up loving, they were so brave and so sort of unapologetic that they lived the life that they wanted to live. And I think that that is something to admire. And that's kind of how I want to live my life. You've mentioned that you've struggled with anxiety in the past. What's been helpful to you? Yeah, anxiety is a crazy thing, you know, because I feel like in the UK, it's just definitely, I guess, now just finally coming to terms with being a conversation. I think here in the States, it feels like it's such a, a lovely, more accepted conversation than it ever used to be before. I mean, I know there's a lot of the journey for it to go, but growing up in the UK, it's different, I would think. It's funny because I was I was thinking about asking this question and I have anxiety. I grew up with it as a kid and it certainly wasn't something that I talked about then. But now it's like every interview I do, I'm like, oh, you have anxiety too? Like everyone has it. it it's much better in the States, but not always the case. Yeah. Yeah, so like growing up at home and also my mum being a psychiatrist, you know, I think she was always super aware of our environment, even as a kid. But then when I started in the industry, you know, I couldn't help it. I was getting a lot of pressure. I started to really feel like I wasn't ever good enough imposter syndrome. I think we all kind of suffer it to a certain degree. And then there's that sense of fear of like not wanting to go back to where it all started. You don't want to go back to that life. And so that fear of Losing everything never goes away. And I think with anxiety, I've just never been able to sort of completely grasp it. I definitely think that my physical relationship with my body has helped me. Being able to sort of work work out and and touch nature and sit in the sauna and 
I think for me, it's become like a treat to myself rather than like I have to do it. Being able to take that time for myself is like I'm almost treating myself. It's like going shopping or something like that. And so I now religiously make an effort to do that because it's like, okay, now I've given myself something, you know, and that calms me down a lot. But yeah, I get those days, tight chest and I can't eat anything and I feel like I'm sweating and I'm all hot and cold and it's like the worst and it comes to me when I'm really tired the most. And it's just something that I think really comes to the best of us, even for a person that thinks, how is Rita getting that? You know, she's got everything she's wanted. It's not about that. It's about feeling like you can't show up. Again, fear and all of that is the problem for me. So let's talk about you crafting professionally a lot of what you wanted, right? You've got the music career. You've got the hosting career. You have different licensing deals, all of it kind of coming together. How much of that is you being like, this is what I want. I want this part to be grown out. I want this partnership. And how much of it is just you going with the flow and being open to experimenting? No, I think I'm pretty, I have sort of like a plan. First of all, I make this kind of like almost like a pie chart of percentages and divisions and attentions and who is involved in each department as well. I think it's really important to understand who is in the conversation because wherever the project goes or however big or small it is, people usually want to always be protected. And I think percentage-wise, when you have that, you have to be very aware of people's input. And I think I'm learned that later down the line. Again, you can't know these things unless you, one, have a bad experience or like have incredible people that back you up and kind of know business. I just knew that my business was bigger than one thing. And I knew that that was my dream. Like I love, love doing lots of different things. And again, my biggest inspirations are the women that have dipped into so many different things like Madonna and Tina Turner and Lady Gaga. And being able to do film and all these things was always my dream because I've always looked at myself as a 360 artist. Some people just don't do that. You know, you've got incredible artists that just do one thing and that's fantastic. But I knew I always wanted to have different divisions within my companies and my projects and my brand. What's some advice that you have for people, not necessarily, you know, on the fame building side, but I think especially for people that find themselves being creative to stretch themselves kind of talk about 360 careers and being creative in one sense, I feel like there's always an opportunity to kind of stretch that to other lanes. But I feel like sometimes people don't really recognize how valuable that is. Yeah, I think it's also because I think that they don't see it. They don't take the moment or the opportunity when it's there. I think some people genuinely just don't think that they can do that or don't have the time to do that. So you have to just really understand that you can go further if you just sacrifice like something else. Like for me, you know, I don't have a lot of personal time to myself. I don't kind of go on holidays all the time and do these sort of like normal things. All my time is spent on one thing or the other thing, or I have to book sort of something off like six, seven months in advance, for example. But that's the sacrifice I made, you know, and 
it's also a lot to do with making those sacrifices. I love working. I want to be able to push myself and be like, whoa, she really did that. You know, some people also have a lot of judgment on you. It's dependent on how you specifically like present yourself on social media or all these kind of like things. And so you think, oh gosh, now I've got to work extra hard to make sure that people know I'm not just like a clickbait. You know, yeah, I look good and I have these things and I do these things and I'd like to post my body sometimes, but I still like get off that and do A, B, and C. And I'm about to, after this, go to the studio and record a song that I want to put out in January. And also like we just wrapped on the Mars Singing US here in LA. And now I'm flying back to the UK, you know, to do this another deal that this for this incredible hair collaboration that I've got coming out in the top of the year that we've been working on a formula to, to um, help hair growth for the past three and a half years because I suffer from hair growth and all these things like that. Like it just never stops. So I think, again, you're not going to sit here and explain yourself every single time, but that is, again, like a belief that you have to know, well, okay, if they do think that, they don't know that I'm about to get on this plane and then fly to this other place and not sleep and A, B, and C. So Again, you just have to just keep it moving. <laughs> so let's talk about where you are now. You negotiated a deal with your new label, BMG. You've regained ownership over your music. Yeah. You have new music coming out. You've got new projects coming out. When you think about the career that you've built so far, what are you most proud of? I think not giving up, you know. Now, do I have days where I wake up and think I can't do it? all the time I'm like I need some people sometimes like everyone else to be like you got this like look what you've done you've got this but we never focus on what we've done do we we always focus on what we want and what we want to do and I think it's so hard and easy to forget that and you just really you have to remember that because it puts you in a great mental place to kind of achieve what you want to do next I think it's just not giving up some people when they go against such big powerful individuals like Rock Nation, they feel like they, they can't do it and they get eaten up and they just kind of like shrivel into a ball. But I had no other choice, basically. I didn't know what else I was going to do. I left school at 16. You know, I don't have these big fancy degrees. I just knew that I was somebody that people could connect to and relate to. And I wanted to use that to my advantage and try and give people an escape through all outlets, you know, not just music. And so I felt like that was it. I had no other choice. What do you think you're best at? I think encouragement and feeding people that sense of inspiration. I don't know what that means, but I think I'm really good at like giving people something to believe in. If it's being able to work really hard or if it's listening to a song or if it's wearing a piece of clothing, I think it's nice that I'm able to give people that sense of hope through these different outlets. And that's what I do it for. Two questions to wrap up with. The first is, uh, to wrap things up, we're asking Rita a question. Our Skim Well newsletter audience is dying to know. Do you have any mantras or phrases you find yourself repeating internally or write in a journal? Like something that when you're kind of in that mode of feeling stressed or overwhelmed, that gets you grounded again? Yeah, it's, it's a bit generic, but it really works for me. It's I will not give up on myself. Every time, it's like, I will not give up on my dream. I will not give up on myself. I will not give up on my dream. I will not give up on myself. Yeah, that's kind of what I say to myself all the time. Even when I'm working out and I feel like I'm going to throw up, there's that. I'm going to try that one. 
Last question. Who is someone else we should have on this show? Wow. Gosh, you guys have had so many incredible peoples already. Um, There is a lady I met in Australia, and she's a mother of uh, three, I think. She is such a hard worker. She's basically a really inspiring woman who started a brand called Vita Glow, and it's all sort of like in digestible kind of stuff for collagen, peptides, hair growth, skin, prenatal, um, postnatal. It's very woman-based, and it's all something to do from her personal experience. Her name is Anna LaHaye, and she's also a business partner of mine that has helped me come to this new project for hair growth, and it will be announced next year. But she, before even we got in business together, has just such a crazy story about being a mom, starting this company that is now in all the Sephora's and worth over $100 million. And it's just an amazing story of her business strategy and how she kind of like became that person. Awesome. Well, Rita, congratulations on everything. We wish you nothing but the best going forward. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of 9 to 5-ish with The Skim. A new episode will be in your feed again next Wednesday. And if you want to keep up with us in between episodes, follow us on Instagram at Carly and Danielle. It's a really good account, I promise. <laughs>